Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, I'm Umanea and welcome to the Girl Chart Podcast. During the series, I'll be joined by some amazing guests and hearing all about their brand of brown girl magic. As well as sharing stories and discussions with the South Asian twist, we'll be getting stuck into the chart and the chat. I'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch on Instagram at girlchart. Hi there. Today we are opening up Bearing Our Souls and Going Into Therapy with a very wise and insightful lady, Dr. Beedal Chedoverma. Beedal and I have known each other for around eight years, I think. And Beedal is a chartered psychologist and CBT therapist with over 15 years experience treating a broad spectrum of conditions. And her expertise is in the assessment and treatment of autism, Asperger's, and ADHD in both children and adults. So today I'm going to be asking Beedal all about her career in psychology, how she got started, uh, what her kind of family reaction was to going into psychology as well, and Beedal's thoughts on mental health issues in the South Asian community, in particular women. She's got some really, really interesting thoughts, so we're going to try and touch on as many of those as we can in the time that we have. So hi Beedal. Hi, Umar. Good morning. Hello. So Beedal, it's going to be like you're in therapy today, we're turning the tables you're on the couch today we're recording today's episode from Beedle's clinic which is an oasis of calm in central London and we're snacking on cardamom loaf cake which is Beedle's favorite that I made from the hummingbird bakery recipe book and we're sipping on some chai as well I'd really like to go back to the beginning and find out about your background Uh, where are you from I'm from Mumbai. I belong to a small community within the Gujaratis called Kachis. I trained in psychology initially in Mumbai and then finished off in England. I um, came to England in, I can't remember the year now, but I was (laughs) 19, 20 years old. And the, the start was slow, but it's been an amazing journey. Oh, amazing. So would you say you're British or Indian? What do you think? I, I have loads of Britishness in me now, yeah. but I think at the core of me, I'm still quite Indian and to be more precise, quite a Mumbaiker as they, as they call yes. us. Yes. Why did you decide to get into psychology? Was there a particular motivation for you? It's interesting because my first sort of line of thought around psychology wasn't really psychology. I loved solving puzzles. I was quite a observer. I was quite a listener. I was quite a sort of keen, observant 
child growing up as well. And I liked knowing how people were thinking, feeling, whether their actions met what they were saying, their mm. intentions and so on. So I decided to take up law as well as psychology in my um, graduate degree. I did some modules in law, but found it really boring and quite dense. Mm -hmm. And the psychology modules just came alive. Luckily for me, my my mum, who's my great motivation, would always say, you know, take anything you really love because you've got to do it for a long time. And she didn't see this coming, but she just encouraged us and I went for psychology. So that was a really different start. I didn't have a motivation. So you found to begin it, with. yeah. I did. I, I did. And I just grew to love it more and more and more. And that was quite amazing because the the start in Mumbai was, you know, it wasn't quite a normal degree to do in Mumbai. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was it popular when you were growing up or kind of at college, kind of deciding to go and be a psychologist? Were there many women doing that? There, there were loads of girls doing yeah. it. It was quite a pop popular degree to, to start off with. Mm -hmm. However, not many people really continued with psychology. Ah, so it was just something you did, you studied, and then you went and did HR or, or occupational health yeah. or you know the most sort of box standard routes in in um, psychology I suppose. And at that time what was the general impression of psychology and to be a psychologist? I think various kind of you know common myths as we call it you know mm -hmm. are you going to be a shrink are you going to read my mind? Um, it was it was a good, you know, sort of opening line at parties. I'm a psychologist and people would literally take a step back thinking <laughs> I'm, I'm magically reading their minds. But no, un unfortunately, it, this is, we're talking about the late 1990s yeah. and early 2000s. You know, there were loads of my family members who questioned why I was doing a psychology degree. I suppose my parents held faith. They knew I was loving it. Mm -hmm. I loved studying it. And there wasn't much kind of awareness around these things until I came to England and I saw the opportunities open up here. I, I can tell you more about how different the story is now in Mumbai or I, India. I but... bet. Well, let's talk about that. Like, how how different is that, like, compared to when you started and now when you travel? Because obviously you go back to India often to visit your family. How different is the, the approach? It's quite different, particularly in big cities like Mumbai, Delhi, Calcutta, mm -hmm. Bangalore, for instance, as well. The great news is people are quite aware, mm -hmm. seem to know loads about depression, anxiety, OCD, the more sort of um, general psychiatry common uh, mental disorders yeah. and growingly more so around my work in ADHD, Asperger's, autism, learning difficulties and so on. Bollywood, funnily enough, has had <laughs> our cause. Um, there have been actors and actresses or, you know, key sort of Bollywood figures who've opened up these discussions about what it is like to suffer from depression and it could strike anybody. So I think that the discussion's open. I've seen over the years new treatment centres come up. Really? In the new? big cities? Absolutely. Yeah. And and of course, for me, Mumbai is, a, is my, my sort of hometown mm -hmm. and hub. So I know of loads of clinics. A friend I trained with here in England has gone back to practice in a clinic wow. in Mumbai. She's doing really well for herself. And in Delhi as well. And I think what helps Delhi is that there is a huge expat population with embassy staff and, and you know, various international yeah. sort of population as well. And they all need loads of input with the mental health side of things. So it's it's a changing landscape. 
So the awareness is is kind of it's a lot more at the front of people's minds. And I love to hear that Bollywood is <laughs> the influence is still going strong, but in a really positive way. Absolutely. It's a really positive way. Absolutely. So after you finished your training um, and you decided that you wanted to be a psychologist, and I imagine you must have told your parents that you wanted to move to the UK to do that. What was their reaction? I suppose the the immediate reaction was loads of anxiety because their daughter <laughs> wanted to move far away from them. However, my mum's reaction was, I suppose, expected. She by this point in our lives, she had one daughter who had become an interior designer. Ooh, cool. The younger, my younger sister, the younger daughter had become a tennis player, professional tennis player. So I suppose nothing was a surprise at that point for them. Um, they were concerned about me being on my own, but they were very supportive. Um, but they were very traditionally Indian. They wanted to drop me to university, sort my room out, unpack for me, <laughs> buy my groceries. Uh, before Give you a tip in books. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, oh, I came with loads and loads of food I in my bet, suitcases. I bet. I bet you still do today, even when you go home. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm the same. And each yeah. time I moved even rooms in the same student accommodation, they flew back from India <laughs> just to have me re how love but so supportive <laughs> that's so that's so lovely absolutely absolutely but I suppose this is you know this has been a blessing for me that my parents have never doubted they've given us that belief that don't doubt your dreams and your aspirations yeah. and go for it if you love it you can do it oh they sound incredible and I'm sure you're the same with your daughter as well now I hope so <laughs> I'm sure you are I really wanted to know what your I think we've touched on what your parents thought and they were very encouraging um, and your wider family obviously were a little bit unsure. But how was it when you did your first ever therapy session? Like, what did that feel like? Oh, gosh, Uh, that's a trip down the memory lane. My first ever therapy session was with a old man who'd lost his wife. And I was, you know, he was quite depressed. And I sort of, you know, as I was walking to the sort of therapy session, I I kind of tried to almost recall my textbooks and, you know, what does grief mean? You know, what are the clinical symptoms of depression mm. and so on? But when I sat in that chair and I saw a human being really just being upset, low, sad, um, depressed, all I became was a good human being in that moment, mm-hmm. just tried to listen you know, just try to be with him. And I think I learned very quickly, it's not the clever interventions we use, it's how human we are and how much we can sort of, you know, be there for somebody in those moments. That's so important. But I'll never forget this first patient of mine and I'm sure he's doing really well. (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely. And was that in India or here? In England. In England, England. yeah. Um, I'm fascinated with how uh, you must see lots of people. Um, How do you remember each story and each detail. I suppose that's the joy of my work. I get to meet amazing human beings who may be suffering in just some moments of their lives, but they have so much to give, you know, only if if they could see themselves through my eyes (laughs) or other people's eyes, they would realize there's strengths even in despair. Yeah. I hear such amazing stories of resilience of, you know, what they've been through and they come out the other end, they, you know, sort of carry on, they push themselves onwards. That's the best bit of my of my work, really, is the narratives people come with to this room. 
Yeah, you share that journey with them. Absolutely. And, and, and that must be such a, a joy as well. So obviously you, you help your clients, but do you find yourself therapizing? I just invented that word. Is that a real word? <laughs> it is, it is. Therapizing. I sound really American. And that American accent was <laughs> awful. Do you find yourself therapizing your friends and family and getting in the middle of, of things? Or do they kind of just go, oh, better not say that. She'll, oh, <laughs> she'll start kind I, of reading I, too I much wish. into it. No, no, my... I I have two amazing, gorgeous sisters, yeah. both of which keep me in line. Aww. I'm not their psychologist or therapist. I'm just their middle sister. I'm the middle one. Yeah. And um, they, we are all very different. And they sort of, you know, we have the usual sibling banter, you know, arguments, yeah. uh, misunderstandings. But we move on from it because underlying that is love. And, yeah. you know, that's the difference between being a professional and a family member. But very early on, when my husband, we were just at the start of our relationship, mm-hmm. very, very early on, he sort of said something really wise to me. And he is quite a wise person, but he's mm-hmm. rational and wise. And he said, you know, don't be a psychologist in this relationship because I just want you. And that really has helped me, you know, with friends and family both. It's yeah. so important for me to, you know, not be a professional and just be me with them. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of maintains loads of balance in these And boundaries. These and also, again, not too much pressure on you to always be doing the work yeah absolutely. the work thing absolutely um how do you switch off from work and from obviously a lot like we say a lot of the the kind of uh, issues you're dealing with are very human and so when you go home they don't just switch off like shutting your laptop down or shutting an excel spreadsheet down you know, <laughs> how do you go home and not think about that well, there's a few secrets, I suppose. I I, 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 I'm happy disclosing yeah. those. It's um, I'm really into crafts, so oh. crochet, <laughs> really, <laughs> embroidery. <laughs> Have you crocheted a sari? <laughs> Oh, well, it, that would be hard work, but yeah. I've done scarves and I've done... I didn't know cardigans. that. Oh, my God. I embroider and kachis are known, my, my community yeah. back in India, we're known for a particular kind of very complex embroidery. So I try and learn it whenever Have I'm with... Have you learned that? That's amazing. I haven't completely learned it, but my mum would be really, really quite happy if I did manage to do that. Oh. But I crochet, I try to, you know, sort of do some embroidery, cross stitch and so on. But I think the biggest downtime is also very Indian things like cooking and yes, baking. Uh, baking. You love to bake, yeah, and, and loads of kind of inventing recipes and you know being a mum. Yeah, that, exactly. As challenging as that can be, mm-hmm. it's an amazing way to just you know engage with my life, mm-hmm. and it's it kind of gives me the break from work as well. But yeah. there, there are my secrets. Oh. And I listen to loads of rock music, which is Again, also really. Quite... <laughs> God, I My husband you told me you're into me... gangster rap. <laughs> I did. Not. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't know the crochet. <laughs> you're a lot cooler oh, to me now. <laughs> oh my goodness! I thought that's uncool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my husband calls me a closet goth, heavy metal rock. There we have it. We've got confessions of a therapist. <laughs> Beedle is revealing all today. I've always heard that therapists have to have therapy. Is that true? That's true. Right. That's and true. so do you have to do that once a year or? The recommendation. So when we first start training and before we sort of really qualify and start work, 
we um, therapy is part of our training. Yeah, of course. Um, and that was more rigorous, more intense. In the first few years of practicing, I had more therapy than I have now. I mm-hmm. should actually be going back to therapy every. The recommendation is three to five years. Great. I haven't gone back in three to five years. I probably need now. <laughs> after this <laughs> Especially interview. Especially after my revelations. <laughs> yeah, you need to go talk to someone about <laughs> that. Of course. Um, but also, we have another sort of mechanism that really, really helps. And I think, you know, I mustn't understate the importance of that. We have a monthly session called supervision where a more experienced or somebody really quite you know who can challenge you Mm -hmm. quite a lot looks at some of your difficult work or cases or interesting work and just kind of make sure you're okay you're working well you're you know kind of using a lot of your sort of techniques well and that also really is a great supportive mechanism and sometimes we have added on peer supervision where mm-hmm. we, we sit with our peers and we discuss cases and, you know, sort of also talk about, you know, the impact of the work. Yeah, of course. And you've got a support network. And I imagine even in psychology, things are changing all the time. New techniques are coming up, but then also new issues are coming up. So, I mean, that must be so interesting just to get together with your peers um, and supervisors as well. I think just, you know, the excitement in the field has been, you know, where the body-mind gap has yeah. closed in. And I think particularly being of Indian, uh, you know, background and, you know, having worked with the Asian community, that has really helped our community quite a lot mm-hmm. because we traditionally didn't used to really think about our mental health or the yes. mind so much. We looked after our bodies, but I think the blend, I think, is forcing us in a good way, Mm -hmm. to think about, you know, how our body's impacting our mind, our mind is affecting our body and life's affecting both of these things. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, that that kind of goes on to my next question. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Because Beedle has some really fascinating views about how mental health affects South Asians um, and things that I have never really thought about. But when we've talked about things in the past, you know, 
it is it is quite mind-blowing actually how uh, how all these things can have an effect on communities and also the kind of patterns that you you must see regularly this is a favorite and I know I've talked to you about this I'm literally dripping in evil eye uh, (laughs) adornment of necklaces and actually weirdly enough I'm not today it's the one day I'm not but I'm always wearing them on my neck and ears and wherever I can put them let's talk about Nazar and the uh, I think you've coined the phrase magical thinking which I Mm. think is such a big thing in South Asian communities Mm. but also not only just in our community but lots of other I know lots of my Greek and Turkish friends and Arab big friends have the same thing how do you cope with people kind of finding like superstition being such a really important part about how we live our lives or what we can and can't do like washing Mm. your hair on a (laughs) have you heard of that one it might just be my (laughs) it was just my mum made made that up what would you say give some advice about how to kind of move on from those but also absolutely respectful yeah absolutely I think we we can broadly categorize those as cultural norms Mm -hmm. or cultural mindsets which really we grew up with and then we we are hope you know mostly going to pass them on to the next generation Mm -hmm. maybe in a diluted form or you know more profound form based on what's going on in your own personal journeys as a family but um my magical thinking is actually not my phrase it's a cbt phrase which is quite interesting it kind of describes exactly that where just because we believe something in something whether it's a superstition or a feeling mm-hmm. we almost think it becomes a reality yeah and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for you know being worried about something or anxious about something and if you think of of the sort of Indian population or South Asian population on the whole we tend to be quite worriers we tend to be quite cerebral in our mm-hmm. in our men in our minds as well we tend yeah. to overthink we tend to you know sort of predict the future uh, or we, we find people to do that for us absolutely. Or, uh, Asian ast- astrologers absolutely yeah. absolutely but you know there are loads of these kind of mindsets that you know do belong to not just the South Asian community but you know, more so are backdrops. And it's really interesting working with some of these because they come up again and again mm-hmm. in different forms, in different ways with different patients. But, you know, you could see the sort of cultural impact. impact. Yeah. Talking about the worry being a kind of a widespread uh kind of common issue that comes up in South Asians. And do you have do you have a kind of a reason why you think that is? I Suppose if you think of the South Asian backdrop, Mm -hmm. we come from such a diverse land, you know, the whole subcontinent, Mm -hmm. and I include all the countries within the subcontinent. We come from such a diverse backdrop geographically, but also in what we call neurodiversity, which means our minds are, you know, first of all, we're so many. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we we have a lot of range in, our, in the way our brains are made or our minds function as well. And I think a lot of our uh, emphasis in families is about, you know, sort of acquiring knowledge, studying well, you know, being good at academia, mm-hmm. being good at, you know, sort of professional qualifications and so on, which of course has loads of gains. Yeah. But it also makes us quite prone to being thinkers and overthinkers because we practice this from an early, early age. We, we're, you know, we're made to study well at home. Math, science is quite important. So that automatically kind of gives us more sort of fuel if you like in terms of overthinking Mm -hmm. and then worrying worrying is only one kind of overthinking yeah 
but you know i would say that that it's not the only thing but perhaps a huge part of why we tend to be worriers and overthinkers immigration is a is a traumatic um kind of experience it has its positives and and obviously it's very difficult change for a family to go through um and something i think we've talked about before is transgenerational trauma um and i guess immigration falls into that but also um partition would you be able to explain to our listeners a little bit about what that means and the impact that has I think in their history, you know, it isn't just immigrating from India or Pakistan or somewhere else yeah. to England, but I think we've been through loads of, you know, historically loads of uh, rulers, loads of, you know, dynasties coming and kind of ruling the land. And then we've got loads of, you know, sort of civil movements in, in the partition. So, mm-hmm. for instance, the India and Pakistan partition was extremely traumatic. Um, transgenerational trauma means that if a family has experienced trauma yeah. somewhere, and it has been quite an acute, quite a profound trauma, like the partition, mm-hmm. you then tend to carry some of those traumatic fears subconsciously almost into the next generation. So, for instance, imagine these families who had to move from Africa and Kenya and yeah. to England. It was quite traumatic. Things changed within, you know, overnight. a few days, yeah. overnight, yeah. absolutely. And they were really traumatized. They had to come to England and start all over again, yeah. reestablish themselves. That process of reestablishing themselves created perhaps a huge level of anxiety and a need for stability and mm-hmm. security. And if you think of these, you know, sort of that first generation of, of South Asians who came to England, they seem to have worked on that sort of pathway of stabilizing themselves, making themselves and their families quite secure. And as they sort of raised children, you know, that was their key message. Security was was everything. Huge. Yeah. But then you can see how they've you know, in a very kind of transitional way, they've mm-hmm. passed on some elements, if not you know, all elements of that anxiety and that trauma to the next generation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I went to see a play called An Adventure by Vinay Patel. And um, it was the first time I think I've ever really thought about both sets of my grandparents and the, the journey and the trauma they'd been through. So they just witnessed partition. They'd just gone through that got married barely knew each other (laughs) their partners and then jumped on a boat to go to East Africa and then as we said overnight came to London or came to the UK I now as an adult can start to feel uh, I'm actually seeing that play suddenly felt something to say oh god I've been blind I when I when I had the chance to ask them those stories and actually to to feel that pain that they must have felt seeing that play really kind of made that very um very real to me and suddenly I was aware of all the kind of the journey that they had been through and just how traumatic that must have been mm. interestingly though they were all very stoic yeah, yeah. they had to get People, on with they life. just got, got on with it um the oh, whole wow. issue of transgenerational trauma it, it's just so interesting and probably a very untapped thing I think probably we don't realize enough about just how, how much it affects people. And again, it's another thing. It's not just exclusive to South Asians. It's it's all over the world. And it's, I imagine most people are... Absolutely. There are loads of communities who've experienced lots of traumatic events. And I think there is a, you know, there is research done on this concept yeah. of transgenerational trauma. 
Oh, I, I didn't know your, your grandparents belonged to the, that community of partition. Oh yeah, my yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to stay with my grandmother, my mum's mum, in the summer during Independence Day. And I would uh, see her so upset. But I really didn't understand, understand it. And I, I think that's probably another, perhaps it's another episode to talk about the kind of the history that we're taught in schools. Because I had no awareness of it being having happened or being uh, you know a big part of British history or South Asian history um, which it which it yeah, was so absolutely. yeah um, is there a, a common theme or is there one issue that seems to be common amongst all the South Asian women that you've seen in clinic what what is that one thing women in particular or yeah. just women in particular women yeah. in particular there's uh, a theme of high standards on themselves yeah mostly projected by themselves mm-hmm. on themselves a dutiful sort of existence of their roles of either mother or wife and Mm -hmm. sister and daughter and so on. And that creates the issue of self-sacrifice and guilt Mm -hmm. very often in South Asian women. We are actually, we are quite, I I feel, and I, I certainly have tried to sort of, you know, work in that. I do feel I am powerful, I am as good as anybody else mm-hmm. can be. However, I do feel the burden of my responsibilities, a sense of responsibilities and duties towards everything, not just my family, but work as well. And I think that comes from my own mind mm-hmm. rather than being imposed by other people. Yeah. Okay. Self-sacrifice can be quite a issue because it creates burnout, stress, anxiety, and it traps you in a vicious cycle of, mm. you know, fatigue and exhaustion and mental as well, mental fatigue and exhaustion. And then the guilt mm-hmm. that ensues from feeling tired and not being able to do your best. And then you again propel yourself to do a lot. And then you're back in that conundrum yeah. of self-sacrifice and guilt. And, and would you say that's then women in general or is that very um, kind of amplified in South Asian women? Even I, now, after yeah. you know feminism and 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 Absolutely. all the changes that we've that everyone's gone through in coming to the UK and and Absolutely. moving. Absolutely, I think amplified is a good word yeah. because I think that can belong to women in yeah. general. The archetypal roles of women mm-hmm. we've played. However, it is quite strong in the South Asian community because I've certainly seen my mum sacrifice plenty yes. for us. Yeah, yeah. And I assume you yeah. as well. And our grandmother, Many, perhaps all, all the women in my family. Yeah. Absolutely. And they, they put the family before themselves if it wasn't work. Yeah. So the the channels may have changed a bit mm-hmm. for us as the next generation, but I suppose I do, uh, yes, I agree. There's a profound self-sacrifice that comes up in Asian women, particularly. So if somebody wanted to find a therapist, what advice would you have when it comes to choosing a therapist? I would say, you know, if you if you think you need to see somebody from the same culture backdrop because you feel they may understand that a little yeah. bit more, then that could be part of your criteria. However, mm-hmm. I have to add that loads of my, you know, differently cultured therapists, uh, white therapist colleagues are absolutely clued in about our culture because yeah. we have been quite a big part of this society. Yeah. Um, so I think the more important thing in terms of choosing the right therapist for you is yeah. go see them once. Mm-hmm. 
explain that, you know, this is something they want to do is to meet them once and see how they feel about therapy as a whole and get a sense of, you know, how that felt in that moment, in that hour of therapy or 50 minutes of therapy um, and whether they felt supported, whether they, the philosophy the therapist was using was, you know, um, appropriate and manageable for them, whether the expectations and goals of therapy work for them. And I think that would be a much better route rather than sticking to just somebody because of their cultural belonging. Yes, yeah. I mean, I read an article, which I think we'll we'll share um, by Artie Patel, um, where she talks about the difficulties as a person of colour finding a therapist who's from the same background. I think she discusses almost feeling that there's a, a useful shorthand that, that she can go into, you know, that if you go into a therapy session with someone from the same background, it's all there, it's all understood without, without any explanation. But yeah, I think exactly, I think what you're saying, to see if there's a click, because you could meet somebody from the same background as you and there is no click or they yeah. have a completely different um, experience yeah. of being South Asian, if, if that's what we're, yeah. we're talking about. I could talk to you literally all day. There is so, so much to talk to you about. And I know that a lot of the issues that we've talked about, we've had to kind of rush through them. So I hope that, you know, if listeners, you're interested, we could maybe get Bijal in again and we can explore the issue of transgenerational trauma. We could kind of explore more on that. If Bijal, you'd come back on again. Absolutely. And... I'd just like to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And it's been, I think, what I'd like to do as well is do an entire episode about your specialism, autism, ADHD, and how that's kind of understood in South Asian communities, especially yeah. in the UK. I think that would be really, really interesting. So, Beedle, how can people find you and get in touch with you? Right. I suppose the easiest option is if they Google my name and all the various options in terms of the clinics I work at and I'm affiliated with will come up, including my private number and email address to give me a ring or drop me a line. Lovely, lovely. Well, thanks again, Bijal. Um, thanks again to our fab producer, Amanda. Thank Um, Thank you guys for listening. And I think and Beedle, tell me if this is the correct advice that I'm giving out. But I feel it's important to say that if anybody listening is concerned about their own mental health or that of a loved one, maybe contact your GP um, in, in the first yes. instance and see how they can help. And also, if you're struggling and need to speak to somebody, the Samaritans are available 24 hours a day in the UK and can be called on 116123. So that's 116123. Take care and I'll speak to you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.